3: up on today's show ranchers worried about new labels being brought in by health canada for ground beef what we lost the attack on canada's largest children's cherry that's a new book author topic rangwala will join us and market big trouble a bear market in some cases and a lot of rain right now we're going to have a conversation that um yeah i mean it's uh it doesn't make a lot of sense. To me, But maybe there's more to it. Apparently, there's going to be a government um, news conference today um, on proposed meat labeling changes. The government of Alberta uh, supporting producers in the face of these proposed federal regulation changes. So that's coming up later on this afternoon. Um, Nate Horner, Jason Copping will be talking about this new change around Health Canada ground meat labeling requirements. Now, here's what's happening. Health Canada announced last week that they are going to start labeling food in our country. Any food, well, not any food. This is part of the problem. Um, Any package of food that contains 15% of your recommended daily intake of sodium, sugars, or saturated fat will get these labels applied to them. OK, and one of the foods that will have these labels applied to them, at least according to the plans we're hearing now, are ground meat. So ground beef, you're going to see this label because of the saturated fat. But the weird part here is whole cuts of meat, steak, roasts, and I'm assuming bacon, but I want to find out for sure, aren't going to have the sticker. It's, it's, it's strange. It, it, It is. So we're going to find out. We're going to get some details on, uh, obviously, um, you know, cattle producers concerned about this, and you can understand why they would be. So we're going to chat now with Dr. Melanie Welk, who is the chair of the Alberta Beef Producer. She's a rancher. She's a vet just just outside of Edmonton. So um, the perfect guest for this discussion. Um, Doctor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today.
4: Well, I really appreciate you having us on today. This is a big issue for our industry, and and we're hoping that... uh you know, produce, we'll let producers know and, and have consumers support us.
3: It it doesn't seem to make sense to me. Okay, but as far as the the, the labels or whatever as they're described, did did I describe it correctly on anything that has fifteen percent of your recommended daily intake of saturated fat? Is the focus, of course, when it comes to ground meat, but but not on whole cuts of meat? Is I mean, does that make sense? Is, is that what they're actually saying?
4: That is what they're saying, and. And let me say that there have been exemptions for other foods as well. Uh, full of fat dairy has been exempt. Um, you mentioned bacon. I, I don't know about that. I, yeah. I asked that question as well, and I, I haven't gotten an answer for it. But, yeah. So, um, you know, other other cuts of, of meat, like T-bones and things like that, no, none of that is included, just the ground beef.
3: Crazy. So strange. Okay, now your group, let's go into why you're concerned. I, mean, I think it makes sense to most of us, but you're obviously worried about what consumers are going to think when they start to see these labels, right?
4: Well, it is. It's, it's con- it is a product that's consumed by more than 90% of Canadians. It's extremely versatile. It is nutritious, and it is... You know, one of our affordable cuts of beef right now for for families that are struggling where food's becoming extremely expensive. And we don't want to have a misleading label um, on our product you know, where where it's going to imp- oversimplify it with a high unsaturated saturated fat label. We want consumers to recognize that this is an extremely um, nutritious, dense food product that contains a lot of uh, required vitamins and minerals, especially for growing Canadians, young Canadians and uh, i know you can't see me but i am a little bit uh, up in age and so protein is very important for for women my age and and we tend to uh you know shy away from fat because that's what we've been been told in the in the past and we just don't want that um affecting consumers decisions at the grocery store
3: yeah exactly i mean even just planting that that idea now health canada says no 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 we've got it all wrong doc these aren't warnings these are just informative labels. They're not going to be telling people not to eat it. They're just trying to educate people as to what's in the food. Does that make a difference? Doesn't to me.
4: Well, then if that's what they're planning on doing, then let's give us a a level playing field with these uh, proposals and put it on all high fat foods, single, uh, single ingredient foods. Like I said, there's been a lot that have been exempted from this. And we are asking for a level playing field. If that's if that's their purpose at the end of the day, is, is just to make that informative decision, then let's do it across the
3: board. Have you had any response at all from Health Canada? I mean, I, I, like, I've bought steaks in my life, great big fatty steaks that clearly have way more than 15% of my daily intake of saturated fats, way more than I would have in a burger, but that's going to be exempted from this. Have they explained at all why some things will be exempt and others won't?
4: Well, the interest, about this is that we, in, at the provincial level, really didn't get wind of it until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Canadian Cattlemen's Association is our federal lobbying group, so they have been working on it a little bit longer. But really, it hasn't come down to the provinces until very recently, and they're telling us that they're going to make their decision next week. So that's why we're we're on such a big push mm-hmm. right now. But no, we haven't. It's been extremely quiet out of Health Can- out of Health Canada. And, this, that's what's concerning for us is, is is where will it end? What what will be labeled next? You know where where are we going to go with this? And and it just like I like I've said before, it just does not make sense. We are going to be the only country in the world that will label our ground beef, or you know, as a single ingredient um, food, as high in saturated fats. We will be the only country that will do that, and it's going to have trade implications for us. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that,
3: because you're right. We're we're the only country on the planet to put this kind of label on ground beef. What kind of an impact do you think that might have when it comes to trade?
4: Well, the thing about trade is it's going to, you know, not only do we export 50% of our beef, which will have the label on it, but we also import beef. And so what what, what will these countries' their beef will be coming in? It will be labeled as well, so it's definitely going to have some trade implications. It, it's worrisome that it could, you know, rebound back into the cool discussion with the Americans. And we, you know, we, we are an ex- in an extremely volatile uh, trade uh, trade uh, market right now, and this is just it's just another market barrier for us. And. You know, we are trying to provide a nutritious and wholesome food choice for Canadians, and we just seem to be coming up against one roadblock after another.
3: You know, I think, like most of us would agree doc that you know if you want to talk about labeling things if you're talking about the highly processed foods or something like i think most of us understand you know some of those concerns and some of those reasons and we can support that but when you're talking about you know somebody on the text line makes a really good point what about fruit and the sugar level in fruit are we going to start labeling i mean when you're talking about a natural product that you know you're not altering it you're not changing it this is just what it is it doesn't make any sense well that that's that's it and the other
4: thing about it is You know, meat only contributes a very small amount of saturated fat in most Canadians' diets. Over 80% of it comes from these highly processed foods, of which I will say again, some of them have been exempted from this front-of-label packaging. So, you know, we all make choices at the end of the day. I mean, we all we all know what's good for us, I think, and what's bad for us. And yet, fruit obviously has been vilified because of its uh, because of its sugar, sugar source. And uh, to me, that's crazy as well. Let's 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 start by eating whole foods, um, and and making those proper decisions. I, I mean, I'm not saying that we're, you know you're never going to eat a piece of cake or you're never going to eat a pie or, or things like that. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, let's have a Health Canada guide us as to the the healthiest choices that we can make with these one-ingredient foods. And and it's interesting, I, I saw um, uh, one of these people on the street kind of interviews where they ask consumers, you know, how many ingredients are in beef? Yeah. And most people really had to think, you know, <laughs> oh, there's five, I think. No, there's one, and it's uh, extremely healthy. It's got a, a heck of a lot of protein in it. And, uh, you know, like I said, iron, zinc, B12, all things that you require in your
3: diet. So that's that's really what we're asking for. And the other one, and I'm sure you can't answer this either, but it's a good point. A lot of people are saying, you know, the other thing is like, if, okay, if you grab a bag of chips and it's got 15% of your daily saturated fats or whatever, you're eating them. But when it comes to that package of beef that you're buying, when you cook it, a lot of that saturated fat disappears as you cook it, right? That's part of the cooking process.
4: Well, exactly. And Dr. Charbonneau, I don't know if you read his statements on it, but he said exactly the same thing. I mean, when you're barbecuing, that's why you get the the flames coming up. It's the fat dripping out of it. I know a lot of people that when they cook ground beef, that they feel it's a little bit too fatty. You can run it under hot water and and get rid of a lot of uh, the fat that's sitting on that beef. So there are ways of doing it and and like we said nobody eats their ground beef raw, you're not going to get that full 15% in there. So it's 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 extremely misleading for the consumer.
3: Yeah, it doesn't it, it makes no sense and I think that's the biggest issue that a lot of people have, doc. So uh, we'll follow this along closely and we'll chat again soon.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to say that if uh, consumers want to take some action, they can visit DontLabelMyBeef.ca and they can sign up there to show their support for us. We really, really appreciate it. The uh, Alberta um, consumer has always really uh, backed us up. I want to say that, you know, going as far back as BSC. And and we really, really would uh, appreciate their support again.
3: Yeah, excellent point. Doc, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Thank you. You
3: have a good day. That is Dr. Melanie Welk, who is um, the chair of Alberta Beef Producer. She's also a rancher and a veterinarian. We're going to be talking about a book entitled What We Lost. Emphasis on we. The attack on Canada's largest children's charity. You know We, and you know the scandals that have surrounded We and the politicians, and all the sorts of things. And and basically, it ended We. We, we is no no more. So this book uh, was written by Tofik Renguala, who um, used to be on the board with We. He is a lawyer. He stepped down from the board in order in order to write this book. It's got some heavy hitters. Uh, Martin Luther King the third will be voicing the audio book and has commented on it. Um, former Canadian Prime Minister Kim Campbell wrote the foreword to this book. And I guess the basic premise is, hey, we don't know the whole story around we. And, you know, losing that charity makes a big, big difference to a lot of people, and it was done unfairly. So let's get into it. We're going to chat with Tofik Rangwala, who is the author of What We Lost, the attack on Canada's largest children's charity. Uh, Tofik, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I guess let's just start there, right? We don't know. We, we we don't know what we lost, and we don't know why we lost it, and we don't know the whole story surrounding We, right?
1: Th- that's exactly right. Um, what this book is is an invitation to look behind the curtain of the We Charity scandal because, as you pointed out in your intro, We Charity was decimated in Canada because of the scandal and closed down. Yet most Canadians, I've discovered, don't actually know What really happened, but most importantly, what was lost and whether it was worth it? They know lots of questions were raised, but they don't know the answers. Uh, and so, this is my uh, effort to clear through, cut through the fog and provide answers.
3: When we take a look at the We situation and what happened, I think there's probably two that stand out. Of course, it was the government and the deal that the government set up with them and ultimately caused all kinds of problems, the finance minister, all the rest. Um, the other one was some of the things that happened around schools uh, overseas. Now, that wasn't necessarily Canadian linked, but um, those two scandals, are. am I right in thinking those were the primary focus and what brought an end to We? Uh, yeah,
1: I think I, I think that's fair. I think it was really the first scandal, uh, you know, in many ways that you point to with the political issues and the allegations of cronyism that uh, really caused we to, to close down uh, and no longer be able to function in Canada. And I think the second portion you uh, mentioned about some of the international commentary yeah. about we's work, that, that in some ways is really an extension of the political scandal in Canada and people deciding that. Um, they're going to look at every aspect of we, and as I pointed out in the book, I think come to some pretty unfair and unfounded conclusions um, that that aren't supported by the facts.
3: So let's get into it here. When we take a look at what happened with the political scandal and the cronyism and all the rest, um, was we? I think your contention is they were made the scapegoat. Politicians sort of threw them under the bus to save themselves, right?
1: Yeah, that is that is my my contention, and I try to explain so the Canadians can understand why that happened and why it, why it makes sense or at least, you know, some rational explanation for what occurred. And I think, and I think the real truth is that opposition parties wanted to bring down the Trudeau government. Uh, they wanted to allege cronyism. And they felt like to do that effectively, they had to make We Charity look like a bad actor because it wasn't going to be enough to say, well, you didn't recuse yourself, but you improperly gave money to, you know, some extremely worthy cause that we all believe in. That's not really the makings of a scandal. To develop a scandal and have it stick, you have to make We Charity the bad actor. And that's really what they did. And, you know, the tragedy is that in doing that, no one really focused on the underlying beneficiaries of We. All the children and students in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, across Canada and around the world who were benefiting from this charity. No one talked to them or talked about them. And that really was the sad part for me and the most shocking part of the story.
3: And I think you're right. I mean, obviously, there was good work being done by the charity, but... Are you saying there was no wrongdoing? The charity was um, uh, beyond reproach. There was nothing to be critical of the charity. This was all done outside them, or, or did they shoulder some of the blame here for the way things went?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, I don't think the charity is beyond reproach, and I do think the sh- charity shoulders some of the blame in terms of how they defended themselves, how they how the charity presented itself. Um, what its strategy was to combat misinformation and i think you could find fault there what you can't do is point to any evidence that the charity actually did anything wrong in terms of breaking a law violating a rule misusing funds doing doing anything inappropriate on mm. the contrary it's incredibly clear shay that we charities have been totally exonerated an independent ethics commissioner uh, inquiry found that no one tipped the scales in, in favor of We Charity, and We Charity didn't improperly approach anyone or ask anyone to tip the scales. So all of the allegations of cronyism have been completely debunked. I mean, there's no, it's, it's just clear as day, the facts are the facts, but the politicians and the media never seem to really want to present that
3: conclusion. They just want to talk about the questions as though that's enough. Getting Texas, we're talking about, yeah, but we was linked to the Liberal Party. That's what happened here when you're linked to a party. uh, Is that fair? I mean, we've had a lot of different politicians. You've got the former Prime Minister, Kim Campbell, who was not a Liberal, writing the forward. I mean, we have this perception, I think, that they're not an arm of the Liberal government, but certainly closely linked to the Liberal government.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And that's actually one of the central myths that I address in this book. Um, I, I think there is a perception, and it was certainly was created, that they have some special relationship with the Liberal Party. But if you look closely at the history of We Charity, it was very much politically agnostic. It had relationships with all political parties. And so I actually talk about in the book first-time information that many people have never seen or heard about emails between We Charity and Aaron O'Toole, for example, in which he's praising the charity's work, asking the Kilburgers to... Uh, help with mental health initiatives. Trying to get his own daughter to attend We Day. Uh, I show correspondence with Peter McKay, for example, and his wife, who was a very important ambassador for women's rights and speaking, you know, at We events. And you know, I talk about events that were hold, uh, held, you know, hosted by Stephen Harper's wife at 24 Sussex Drive. So, um, and that's just a couple of you know poignant sure. examples yeah. there are of NDP and Conservative politicians who have deep ties to this charity, because it was doing good work.
3: Um, you mentioned the Kielburgers. Uh, I think they've got a bit of a reputation in this country, too. Is that unfair? I mean, or, you know, what are your thoughts on on the way they handled all of this and the way they conducted themselves? And is that were they part of the downfall of the charity, or again, is it unfair?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the Kielburgers have been a force for good in Canadian society. That, that is my view of them. And I am, I'm very open about the fact that I've known them a long time, including since they were young, and, and see them that way. Um, I, I do think that there are aspects of the way that they've run We Charity that has made them fodder for criticism. You know, they, they have approached charity uh, with a bit of a zeal that's like a Silicon Valley startup. And well, that's what made them very successful as you know Canadians who are trying to build a movement around the world, and they believed in charity. They believed in fusing it with social entrepreneurship. Um, and and I think when that was all going well, they were celebrated. But they are easily the kind of people who are misunderstood. And personally, I would tell you they're a bit hard to relate to because of the way they go about you know their pursuit of charity and business. And so as a result, it, it's pretty easy, I think to quickly turn on something like that. I talk in the book about how when you're different, um, you know, it's easy to pick on difference when, when when you're getting, you know, down or when you're perceived of as flying too close to the sun. And a lot of people talk about something in Canada called tall poppy syndrome, which is, you know, a little bit of a tendency for Canadian society to feel that there must be something up uh, or something untoward when people are doing better than expected. And to try to bring them down a notch. And I think all of those different forces were at play in the way Canadian society seemed to turn on the um the,
3: the one issue we, we talked about briefly earlier, and that's the schools in Africa. And that was started by a journalist in the United States saying that he was involved in raising money for one of those schools, only to find out down the road that the school that he'd raised money for had been repurposed and used again to raise money. But correct me if I'm wrong, it was proven down the fact that he had missed the boat on this. He had his information wrong, right? And that wasn't actually what happened. Although I'm getting a bunch of texts about repurposing schools and renaming schools and reusing them. Um, it was proven that that's not the case, correct? Uh,
1: it, that, that is true. It was not the case. And I think we're, we're, we're mixing a couple issues. So I want to make sure I'm clear. One is, there were a lot of accusations about donor money and being pledged to the same schools, And I yeah. spend a lot of time, and I think people should read it, two whole chapters on just that topic, including reporting by the CBC. And I, I think what you'll find is it is just plain wrong and not factually accurate and really kind of disturbing. But what's really interesting is the guy you just mentioned, his name is Reed and, Cowan, and he went to he went to Parliament and he's a, a journalist from the U.S. And he testified that you know, a plaque dedicated to his son was moved. And it was a heartbreaking story. By the way, he's, he's right about the fact that a plaque that was voluntarily gifted to his son 15 years ago was inadvertently moved. And he got an explanation and an apology for that, but that wasn't enough. He went to Parliament and testified that maybe it was a symptom of a greater problem. What I can tell you is that that greater problem doesn't exist. And what I can also tell you is the most shocking thing you will read in the book is that same journalist went on to try and extort the charity for 20 million dollars and it's a really disturbing shocking story that was covered in the Washington Post uh, it's covered in the US um, and it's, it's just unbelievable how someone could try and extort and bankrupt a children's charity like that but no one in the Canadian media ever covered that story to this day and I think that's a really shocking thing and I think people when they read that story in the book will will scratch their heads quite a bit
3: Bottom line, we was not, like you say, not beyond reproach. They did some things wrong, but the book sort of lays out how um, they weren't as bad as a lot of people think they were, and they actually did a lot of good work. Does that sum it up accurately for people interested in reading about this further? No, I I, th- I think I'd go a little further and okay. say um, that
1: they 've been The We charity has been completely exonerated, and I think there 's no evidence that they did anything wrong. I think if you have some criticism to make of we charity it 's that you know its style and its way of doing things might have you know allowed some people in the media to 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 poke at them in a way that maybe some other charities wouldn 't have suffered through but i I think the record is pretty clear that we charity is um, unjustified collateral damage, and that the real victims are thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of teachers and children in 7,000 schools in our country who won't have access to mental health programming or bullying resources because of a political fight.
3: Uh, last one, uh, you are a former board member of We Charity. Um, were they at all involved in, in financing this book, in making this book happen? Or is We Charity involved in this book at all, or was this something you took upon yourself?
1: Uh, this is something I took upon myself Every uh, word is m- uh, my own. I wrote it with the consent of the uh, board of We Charity um, because I wanted to make sure that no one had an issue with me me writing something like this. Um, and I wrote it with the cooperation of the charity. And by that, I mean um I had access to anything I wanted. I said I'm only gonna you know write this book if I know that the charity uh is willing to uh, be completely open and give me any piece of information I want and i and I got that but but otherwise absolutely it was not financed by the charity and um it, it's entirely my own
3: okay uh topic, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's an interesting discussion. Thank you so much for having me. You bet that is. Tafik Rangwala, who is the author of What We Lost, The Attack on Canada's Largest Children's Charity. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview and at the end of the interview, he, he is definitely or was connected to the We Charity. He was on the board, um, but he has stepped down from that board in order to write this book. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. trying times when it comes to the world of uh, finance right now listen to this fears about a possible recession pounding markets worldwide today uh the s&p 500 tumbled into what's known as a bear market after sinking more than 20% below its record that was set earlier this year. It's down 2.4% at open in the first chance for investors to trade. Prices are falling sharply on everything. Bonds, Bitcoin, uh, all just tanking right now as fears of a recession get Larger and larger, and it's not you know just the S and P five hundred. There's all the markets. So let's get an update on what's happening. We're going to chat now with Kevin Mullane, who is um, with a senior uh, a senior wealth advisor with National Bank Financial. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Shay, you only call when things are crappy. I I know it's it's bad, isn't it? I, sh- I should I should try and get a hold of you when things are good. <laughs> no, no one will I don't no what, care. What what's going on? I mean, uh, okay. First of all, define what a bear market is. I mean, that's when you you head in the wrong direction for a certain amount of time, right? Well,
0: that's a percentage twenty percent down from the highs, and that's what the S and P five hundred is now. The broader U.S. market, so it's just a number. You know, it's a percentage yeah. that drop in the market, not a time. This is a percentage so we're in a bear market. That should be 500. I mean, NASDAQ's down 30% this year. TSX is outperforming. You know, the, the TSX is up only down 7% this year, so it's doing quite well. And you, you talk about fears of recession. It's really rising interest rates that's hitting this market. You know, rates have gone up sharply. You look at that 10-year bond. You know, the, the, the government bond in the states. So at the beginning of the year, it was 1.5% was the interest rate yield on it. Today, it's 3.34%. Oh, Kevin's only one and a half, but that's a big, huge move in the bond market. And if you think about the ten years previous this year, we basically saw interest rates fall like a rock, especially during COVID. Yeah. Remember the yeah. remember the negative the negative trillions of dollars in bonds out there from Germany and Switzerland and places around the world? But they're not around anymore. The German bonds up to one point three percent and it was negative for many years. And uh, that's what's hitting the marketplace because now there's competition for the stock market. You know, you can get paid yeah. in a GIC four <laughs> percent, before you could get nothing.
3: So no, you're some- so right. I mean, the, you know, GICs, savings accounts, all that stuff. It was a, it was a losing proposition for so long. So you're starting to actually. You think that's what's going on? People starting to head for those sort of investment yeah, vehicles. That that helps.
0: It gives an alternative. The other thing is there. There's always a fear of recession. So what we got here is an economy. Actually, the economy. We're talking about recession today. The economy is firing on all cylinders in Canada. The lowest unemployment rate ever. U.S. doing great, but inflation, mm-hmm. 8.6%. That rocked the market on Friday. And now the question is, are we at peak inflation or not? But oil just keeps rolling along, 120 today. Just keeps, the pumps just keeps going higher. And that is a big factor in the inflationary gauge. So markets are so worried about inflation right now. And now you have the central banks around the world jacking up interest rates trying to slow down the economy. And the Federal Reserve in the States meets on Wednesday. And it's probably a half percent increase in the market. May It might be three quarters of a percent increase because they're so far behind. Remember the transitory inflation they yes, said a yeah. year ago? Six months ago. Oh, it's only transitory. Don't worry about it. Now they're <laughs> scared that it could be here for a while. It might be the 1970s again. So boy, that, oh it's number one thing. It's higher interest rates. It's just hammering everything. You won't pay as much for that stock if you can get paid something on the other
3: side. Um, Kevin, we, we've, we've talked about U.S., we've talked about Canada, but I'm just taking a look here. I mean, this, there, nobody, there's, there's no safe place. Uh, you've got Europe, Germany's index, France, oh, Australia, okay. I mean, Korea, you name it, right? Across the world. And we're one big stock market, really, right now.
0: I actually was just before your call, I was trying to find that all-inclusive, all the all-elusive, excuse me, stock that's up today in my world, and I did find one. Santax up today,
3: okay. Here in town, but there's not many. The screen is very, very red. I know you. Uh, one of the greatest expressions you ever taught me was "dead cat bounce." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying it. Can you look for a dead cat bounce, or is this dead cat going to hit and stick? I, uh, gosh, no. I assume it.
0: A line that I was taught by a senior guy a long time ago with, "Jay, is market a rally from here or lower levels?" <laughs>
3: <laughs> All um, right. Whatever. Fair enough. Thank
0: you, Kevin. I, I appreciate it. I capitulation is coming here. I think we'll probably bounce here soon. Once we get Wednesday over with, which is a federal reserve, yeah. once we get that over with, the market will probably go,
3: okay, we can breathe again and we'll bounce back in. Get a little bit of certainty built into it. Okay. Good stuff. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> You're welcome. Appreciate it. Kevin Mullane, uh, great guy to go to when you need the financial insight. He's always entertaining. As I said, heavy rainfall warnings are in effect for a lot of the province down along the Rockies and extending into all the way to Red Deer. So let's find out. Let's uh, let's have a chat here with Tiffany Lizay, who is the chief meteorologist for Global Calgary. Tiffany, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me. It's raining here.
3: It's, okay. All right. <laughs> At least it's raining somewhere. <laughs> Tell us where what what you're seeing. You know, I don't know if it's a storm. It, it's more like a system, I guess. But what are you seeing? What's the mm-hmm. latest?
2: Yeah, I can tell you I'm staring at the radar right now. So we do have the heaviest rain now, right now is actually in the southeast in parts of east-central Alberta with some embedded thunderstorms within that. So that's the heaviest rain. But in the east? What's gonna, in the east. So what's happening is it's going to wrap itself around counterclockwise and push itself now from east to west across central Alberta and then down basically from, from north to south back down into parts of the southwest. And so that is how this system is moving. So you just have to picture in your mind the heart of it kind of um, in between Alberta and Saskatchewan and ro- rotating counterclockwise. So don't be fooled by these um, dry bouts that we're having in parts of central Alberta right now. The rain is going to come. Edmonton, it's going to be later, and that's why you guys will warm up nicely today. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be cooler in the south because that rain has already started for much of southern Alberta.
3: Hey, Tiffany, is that backwards? I mean, typically we see our weather moving west to east, right?
2: Well, we, <laughs> great question. So, yeah, usually we have a low-pressure system that will move in from B.C., and because it, again, rotates um, counterclockwise, we can still have this type of weather that comes from east to west, but for the most part it's still moving in from the west, if that makes sense. Now, okay. this system is moving in from the Pacific northwest, so down in the states, and it's moving up from Montana, So that's why we're seeing it a little bit different. So is it abnormal? No. We do see this quite often with these big rainfall events. Uh, It's just kind of how the little pressure systems travel through. It's just usually it's coming straight from BC, not coming up from the south.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Now, in terms of what we're seeing in estimates as to how much rain may fall, according to what I read on Environment Canada, the low end seems to be about 75 and then all the way up to 150, maybe even more in some localized areas. What are you thinking?
2: Yeah, that is going to be very isolated pockets that see the totals uh, over 100 millimeters, so between 100 and 150. 150 is kind of that worst-case scenario where we include that in our forecast because we want people uh, to be prepared for it um, because there is that slight possibility. So for the most part, in areas in the southwest, 75 to 100 millimeters is possible. And there are some pockets of that that stretch up to... West central Alberta. So those areas where we're seeing those rainfall warnings, we get rainfall warnings issued when we are expecting over 50 millimeters to fall in an hour. And when we're expecting over 75 millimeters to fall over a 48 hour period. And that's why that longer term event with the 75 millimeters in 48 hours, that's what has prompted these rainfall warnings. So we'll be watching that the heaviest rain um, is expected over the next 24 hours. And then behind that, it'll kind of be some lingering uh, pockets of, of heavy rain behind that for the rest of Tuesday, and then some scattered showers on Wednesday. So we'll be watching closely. But it's been fascinating, shade because this is a little bit, everybody's been comparing this to June 2013. Right, right
3: exactly, and, of course.
2: And it gives us anxiety, and rightfully so. This is a bit of a cooler system. So that might help us out. So the higher elevations are expecting snow. We have a snowfall warning just across the border in BC for Highway Three for the interior. So at higher elevations we'll be seeing snow. So we're not going to get that rain on snow on our snowpack, which quickly melts it. Mm -hmm. That's what happened in June twenty thirteen and that's why we had severe flooding. If we have snow on snow and then we get that melt later on, we can still see high flow rates in our in our elbow river and our bow river, but it's not going to lead to severe flooding like 2013. So that is something we're watching very closely, and that's a good sign.
3: Yeah, absolutely, that's a good sign. Give us an idea of how big this system is, because I know taking a look at the Edmonton forecast, it's rain right through until Saturday. I mean, not the levels that you guys are talking about in the south, but right across, does it go beyond all the way to the north? I mean, is the entire province going to be looking at rain here?
2: Yeah, a, a big part of the province. So so the system is moving up from Montana, and it's pushing its way from Montana and kind of riding that Alberta-Saskatchewan border. Okay. And like I was saying earlier, it's rotating counterclockwise, so it's pushing that moisture back into uh, our province as it moves northward. It is so moisture-packed because this term that we've heard a lot about, the atmospheric river, yeah. this system built in the Pacific Northwest, it was fueled by moisture that moved in from the pacific it pumped the system full of moisture and then sent it on its way towards us so that's why it's so potent and it's going to ride that border continuing to push in moisture uh, embedded thunderstorms which as we know we can see very localized heavier amounts um and it'll move north and and impact quite a bit of the province which is in a sense good news because parts of the south are so dry uh can be bad news because we've been dry for so long, the soil doesn't necessarily know how to react to moisture. That's how bad our droughts are right now in southern Alberta, that that the soil is like, oh, this is rain, this is a lot of rain, what do we do with that?
3: Yeah. No, we had an agrologist on not long ago, Tiffany, saying the exact same thing. I mean, soil gets compacted, all these sorts, of, I mean, it's just not in a position to accept that much moisture.
2: Yeah, and... Uh, behind the system similar to in front of this system what we saw over the weekend will be some instability so we'll see some um, possible thunderstorms and that's why you see rain in the forecast uh, beyond that wednesday mark is because then we have that instability and it's a chance of the showers and the thunderstorm less likely than what we're seeing throughout today and tomorrow but still that chance so we'll be watching that june is typically our wettest month of the year, so this isn't completely abnormal for this month. Um, Yeah, but aren't
3: you going to get like a month's worth in three days?
2: (laughs) The heavier amounts could be, (laughs) yeah, like for for Calgary specifically, 94 millimeters is what we typically see in June, and the heavier amounts are pushing us uh, into the 80 millimeter mark range. I'm thinking we'll probably see around between 60 and 75 millimeters. Okay. Uh, which is still a lot of rain, but at least it's widespread, not only over today, but over tomorrow and into Wednesday as well.
3: All right, Tiffany, great update. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: <laughs> Thanks for letting me nerd out uh, over the hey, Love it. Love it. it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Anytime. You know where to find us. Thanks, Tiffany. <laughs> Thanks, Shay. That's Tiffany Lizet, who's the chief meteorologist at uh, Global Calgary, giving us an update. And as we said, rainfall warnings, public alerts, uh Be ready for it down in Southern Alberta. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favourite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.